0: So imagine that. It matters what you say and what you do, uh, where, where you live in Myanmar. <laughs> Thank God not here. Wow. Uh, we're, we're really blessed to, to have people that we partner with uh, that we do, and, and uh, these last five weeks getting to hear from some of them has, has been really fun as well. So pray with me as we uh, come into this time of study and reflection. Uh, father would you teach us and challenge us as a church would you uh, help us to hear from you <clears throat> take my words lord and do with them what you will and and uh, and mostly may jesus be lifted up in our midst may he be given glory for we ask it in his name amen read an article not very long ago in christianity today interesting magazine talking about the amazing things that are happening uh, in many parts of the world with Muslims. What's that? We okay, here we go, with Muslims. A- a- an unprecedented number of Muslims today are you know, in flux because of world situations. Uh, Syria, uh, Iraq, uh, lots of Muslims uh, uh, in a state of flux. They're actually refugees. And uh, a lot of these people, many of them, are actually coming to know Jesus. It's remarkable, according to this article. Uh, When they do come to know Jesus, they usually become a part of a church that's, frankly, persecuted. And that church becomes their new family because their old family uh, is embarrassed by them, is angry at them, uh, in most cases disowns them, even persecutes them. Uh, And when these churches that they become a part of get to a, a place or a size where they become noticed, Often too, then those churches are ta- attacked, and literally, I mean, attacked. But it still keeps happening. Um, Muslims keep deciding to follow Jesus, and when they do, they risk everything. They risk their family ties. That's going to be something that's uh, either badly broken or d- deeply affected. They they oftentimes uh, decide to follow Jesus at risk of their own personal safety. Uh, Oftentimes if they have a means of livelihood, a lot of the refugees don't even have a means of livelihood. But if they do, that too is put at risk just to follow Jesus. One mission agency reports that in spite of all the risks and the dangers, the thing that these Muslim Christians apparently covet more than anything else is not what you would expect. Uh, It's not financial assistance. You know, it's not, you know, materials or or things of that nature from Western churches or North American churches. It's frankly prayer. They want prayer. And not prayer for life to get easier or safer or prayer that there will be less pressure or less persecution. It's actually prayer for greater boldness. Prayer to be stronger, prayer to get bolder, prayer to go deeper in their love and their trust of Jesus. The countries where Muslims are coming to Jesus in significant numbers are usually countries where Christians uh, are actually being persecuted. Go figure. It reminds me of the first and second century church spreading throughout the Roman Empire so many years ago. And doing so at times at great peril to the people who would become Jesus followers. And just like way back then, so also now, God is doing unbelievable stuff in the world. And the strange thing about the church living in that world is that the steeper the challenge, uh, the higher the price, the greater the demand, the more noble the church. And it seems that that has always been the case. The church is usually at its best when the world around it is at its worst. Now, this, of course, gets me thinking about us as a church. Um, we've been talking, as I said, about our why as a church. Five weeks ago, we uh, <coughs> spent some time looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 4. This, this situation in Jesus' life where he's got some folks who he's been ministering to them and so, and they happen to be fishermen. Uh, this isn't the first occasion that they ever hear about Jesus, but Jesus comes along to them as they're fishing and he says, I want you to come follow me. And when you do, I am going to make you fishers of men. And it says they drop their nets, they leave their fishing, and they actually go to follow Jesus right then and there. And we said, when we were looking at that text, we said, you know, that is our why as well. I mean, we're not fishermen, but we are fishermen, fishers of men and women. Uh, it's, it's Our why is the same as those fishermen. Our why is the same as Jesus. Our why is to let the world know that God's kingdom has come and his son was here and will come again he's coming again and we can know this god we can know this great and good god through his son jesus who reveals him the most clearly to us and we can see this broken world literally remade transformed redeemed if you will in jesus and we've said now over and over and over you're probably getting tired of hearing me say it but that's our why we don't have another why that's our only why right there and I've also said on several occasions here in the last few weeks that that's always been the why of God's people. And it gets expressed differently, Old Testament, New Testament, but it's still the same why. In Psalm uh, chapter 78, the psalmist writes these words. The psalmist says, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things, things from of old, what we have heard and known and what our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. You get the idea, passing it on, passing it on, passing it on. And He says, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. In other words, would live with him and, and, and know to love him and know that he loves them. That's the psalmist's way of saying, this is our why. This is our why. And as I said, it's the same as ours. Different words, but it's the same why. And I was thinking of a picture of this. And I decided to use a picture that I've used before, so forgive me. But anyway, it's a picture I've used before. Picture these three chairs up here, right? Uh, the chair in the middle kind of represents the now. It's the present, if you will. Uh, it represents my place, your place, in the family of God right now. It's where you and I sit. You know, when you first came to this church, there was a chair for you, right? Uh, that matters in our culture. Uh, I bet some of you can still remember where you were sitting in uh, the chair that you were in when you came to faith in Jesus. If you happen to have come to faith in Jesus here in this church, uh, I bet you could remember where that happened. Um, Or maybe you were in this church and and you received some kind of encouragement from the Lord because you were in a place of great discouragement. But you you can probably remember where that happened. Maybe, uh, maybe doubtful, but you could remember the message. But maybe, you know, you could remember just how the Lord encouraged you. Or perhaps it was some direction that you needed or uh, something along those lines. But some of you have been sitting in a a certain area in a certain chair for a lot of years. uh, And it feels like your seat. Uh, You might even get a little annoyed if somebody's sitting in it when you come in to have your seat but there they are somebody sitting in your chair that's kind of our culture um but that's the that's the present that's the the middle chair there's also the chair here to your left which would represent the past and that chair is kind of a reminder that somebody came before me it's a reminder that somebody invited me here it's a reminder that somebody shared jesus with me somebody cared somebody listened somebody made a place for me and some of you first when you first came to this church you came because your parents brought you you were a captive audience a hope who was up here a captive audience right she really didn't have any say in in whether she was going to come to this church others of you when you came to this church you were probably adults Uh, maybe you were quite skeptical and you sat in the back so you could get away if things got weird right like they did a few weeks ago got very weird very very weird if you were here you know we talked about the fact that nobody absolutely nobody is perfect we all uh, have stuff broken in us very very flawed and what we tend to do is wear masks that was what we were talking about and and you all look so scary so frightening it was so massively weird I took a picture of you and uh, some uh, uh, of you have uh, you wanted that picture and I sent it to you and you've put it on the internet and then nobody who ever sees that is going to come here I mean, who is, in their right mind want to come to a church where they're doing this? But, um, you know, the, just the, the, the idea uh, that we're, we're all the same, we're all in this together, and we're all very broken, and we all need the same thing. We need Jesus. And, you know, as somebody sits here, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, we hear that message over and over, and we have had people put their faith in Jesus. And that's the Why? Now, others of you, that's not your story at all. For you, by the time you came to this church or visited this church, you were already a lifer, right? Uh, You had been doing church since you were maybe a a little child, a little kid. I was talking to my granddaughter, and she's going to be making a public profession of faith in a few weeks at at, at this church. And she was telling me, yeah, I don't have a testimony. I said, no, you've got a testimony. Do you remember a time when you didn't know Jesus? And she would say, no, I don't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. I said, that's the best testimony of all. But, you know, having this, this opportunity to be a lifer, and, and many of you, that's your, your testimony. You grew up in families where you heard about Jesus. And so, you know, when you came to this church, you were already a Bible-toting, scriptures-quoting, blood-bought, spirit-taught, faith-walking, gospel-talking believer with a capital B, right? Amen. It's scary we even have language like that in the church. <laughs> but, um, but whatever your story is, here's the point of all that. None of us came to faith by ourselves. None of us. You can picture a line of chairs. Go from that chair the past, right? You can picture a line of chairs going all the way back to Jesus, if you will. Not that they sat in chairs like we do. But picture those chairs going all the way back to Jesus. And this is one of the things that makes the church so amazing. There is nothing like the church. You know, Jesus invited his friends to come follow him. And they did. And they didn't just come follow him. They turned around and invited their friends. You've got to come and meet this one that I've met. And then their friends came. And, and then right on down the line, invitation after invitation after invitation. And very often people would start following Jesus at a very great personal price. It cost them to do it. But not a single generation got skipped. Thank God. Not a single generation. Right down to the chair where I sit and where you sit. Now there's another chair that I haven't mentioned yet. And that's the, the chair here to the right representing the future i'll go back to what the psalmist says the psalmist says we will tell the next generation the praise worthy deeds of the lord his power and the wonders he has done the idea being that they would hear that message and they would embrace to the faith that has been handed down from father to son to daughter and so right on down the line and uh that's the next generation this chair the future uh Reaching them to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the, a phrase that Paul used when he wrote the, the church at Colossae. That's the main thing right there. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is the main thing. That is our why as a church. Now You might think uh, about these three chairs. The past, the present, and the future. And here's what I love about our church. A lot of churches are what might be called two-chair churches. Okay? Um, There are a lot of great churches. They've just started recently. And they are doing a fantastic, great, creative job of of reaching the next generation. Thank God for that. There always needs to be new churches being planted and being born. That is a very good thing. We we support that. We celebrate that. We want to plant another church as well. currently having conversations with somebody that we will probably bring out here, interview, go through the process again because we are interviewing people to be the next church planter for this church. We believe in that. But when you're planning a church, you don't get the joy or I guess I could also say the challenge of an existing legacy to pass on. And, you know, we're not a real old church. We're 29 years old, but we've got a little bit of a legacy to pass on. And if you look around this church, when it's all gathered, we actually represent uh, several different generations here. And that's, uh, that's a lot of fun to be able to do that. Uh, there are also churches I know of that they have a fantastic past and God has done amazing things through them, but for a variety of reasons, maybe the culture changes around them, or what have you, and and uh, they don't really necessarily have a future for whatever reason they've gone, um, you know, they age, they they decline, and then the doors shut, and they that particular local body eventually dies. But what I love about our church is the fact that well, we have a past, 29 years worth of a past, and uh, we've got a great present, and I believe we've also got. The potential for a fantastic, great future. We get to be a three-chair church, and ideally, we want to stay a, a three-chair church. We get to take this this legacy that we have, that we that we love, and we get to pass it on to people we love, or people we know, or people we interact with. <clears throat> we want to be a Jesus-centered, Jesus-loving, Jesus-preaching, Jesus-following, Jesus-captivated church. Hopefully. Hopefully without the kind of us versus them mentality that we talked about last week. And we want to be a church that cares about our world. A church that cares about our culture. And uh, without getting co-opted by a political agenda. Uh, because let me just tell you, this is a spoiler alert maybe for some of you. I hope not, but could be. Uh, do you understand that neither the Republican Party or the Democratic Party are going to usher in the kingdom of Jesus? Are we clear on this? I hope so. I hope we're crystal clear on this. You see, only Jesus is going to do that. Only Jesus. And we want to be a place, therefore, that evidences the real power and the real presence, the real love, the real caring, the real serving of Jesus and his kingdom to other people here on earth. I mean, we want to care about justice. We want to care about compassion. We want to care about personal holiness. We want to care about joyful servanthood. We want to care about Jesus' fishing mission. And we want to be on that mission with him. We want to be shaped by the scriptures. And we want to be inspired by God and led by the Holy Spirit. We want to be dependent on God and evidence that always through a spirit of prayer. This is a place where we can together And we can always do so much more together, feed the hungry and help the homeless and love the lonely and heal the broken and spread the good news, the gospel about Jesus and his kingdom and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to do that here, here in Littleton, here in Denver, here in this region. And we want to do that in other parts of the world as well. That is our why. That is God's mission for us. Are you getting tired of hearing me say this? Well, good, good, because I'm going to say it a couple more times. So this weekend I want to ask something of you. You know, we come to the end of this. It's been five weeks that we've spent this year uh, talking about mission, uh, talking about this thing that has been handed to us, a torch, if you will. Uh, and it's been handed to us not by accident. It's what, it's what churches do. They hand it on to the, that next group of people. And it's been handed to us because, you see, a group of people made a decision before us. A group of people made a a decision before now that they would work, and they would pray, and they would serve, and they would persevere. And they would dream, and they would give, and they would sacrifice. And that they would pay a high price of advancing the noble cause of the kingdom of Jesus. And I would submit to you, there is no more noble cause than that. No greater kingdom to fight for, to die for, than the kingdom of Jesus. And people who follow Jesus are doing that all around the world. They're doing that in Myanmar. Uh, they're doing that in Lebanon. They're doing that in Guatemala. They're doing that in Ukraine. They're doing that on the campus of University of Denver, just like Hope. Yeah? These are our ministry partners, people that we feel led of God to join hands with. And i got to tell you, I think what makes a church great is when people care more about the chair that represents the future than they care about the church that represents the present. In other words, we know it's not just about us. And so here we are today. And uh, this is our day. It's the only day we got. None of us know what we're going to have tomorrow. But, you know, this is our day. And Jesus says to us, you know, come follow me. Come follow me. And I want to ask you for your help. I want to ask you if you will do for the next generation what the previous generation did for you. Because that's kind of what this is about. And I want to make this question as clear as I know how to make it for everybody who says, you know, this is my church. Deer Creek is my home. I love this church. I mean, if you're visiting this morning, I do have to kind of put a parenthesis in here. Uh, I guess you, you are our guests, of course, and we invite you to listen. It's like you're listening into a family talk this morning is what you're seeing. You can decide whether we're just too weird for you or not. But, you know, you're kind of get a little look inside look at the the heart of this church, I suppose. But for everybody who says, this is my place, I mean, I'm in, this is my family, I want to ask you to do three things, and they're the three things I've been asking you to do now for five weeks. I want to ask you to pray, and I want to ask you to give, and I want to ask you to live missionally. I want to kind of break these down a little bit. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is prayer. I've been asking you now for some time to to uh, go out there in the lobby and <coughs> pick up a, a prayer card for the, that some of our Excuse me, our ministry partners have. And I've been saying to you, you know, would you pick up at least one? Now, some of you have said, can we pick up more than one? I've said, of course you can pick up more than one, but, you know, pick up at least one and be committed to finding out about that uh, ministry partner and praying for them for the next year until uh, basically next February when we do this all again. You know, get on their mail list so you get updated information so you know how to pray for them. You know, teach your kids to care about this family if, if you have kids and if you're in that kind of a situation. Do it at mealtime or whatever time works, but, but lift them up in prayer. Because you know what? Nothing's going to be accomplished without that, without calling God to come and work. And I know a number of you have done that because I've been watching the stacks of cards out there seeing whether or not they diminish. So either you're doing that or your kids are taking them and coloring on them. I don't know which. But that's important. If you haven't done that, please do that. Uh, I, I've also been asking you to pray for the people around you. That's the other part of this praying missionally piece. Praying for the people around you, the people you love, the people you know, the people you work with or you go to school with, or the people that you lead, the people that are around you who just they don't know Jesus yet for whatever reason. And I've asked you to be inviting them into relationship, into friendship, into your conversations, into your world, into your life. Because you understand the gospel, knowing God, knowing Jesus, trusting God, trusting Jesus, doing life with God, gets passed on one person at a time. There's no other way to do it. And it's been this way since Jesus. I mean, you're here because at some point somebody said, let's be friends. Somebody said, let me tell you about my faith, let me tell you about Jesus, or or maybe you asked them because you observed something in their life, a loving attitude, a caring, serving heart, and you just said, why why do you do this? I mean, I don't know what the dynamic was, but uh, somebody made a connection with you. Uh, Maybe they even invited you and said, you ought to come visit my church. Here's an empty chair for you. I got a question for you. Uh, Are are there people in your life that God would like to see sitting in this empty chair? What what I've kind of identified as the future. People hearing about him. People coming to know him. Coming to love him. Even deciding maybe to come to follow him someday. I'm going to guess the answer for all of us is yes on that. There are people like that. There are family members like that. Excuse me. Better take a sip here. You know, there are people who are probably in some of our families representing the next generation that are like that. People at work and school and in your neighborhood. Who, because you've come to know them at least well enough, you, you know, you, you have come also to care about their spiritual well-being. You just care. And I kind of know how this works. When there is somebody like that that you've come to care about and they are far from God, you, you understand, well, at least I, I think we all understand, we can't, do anything about it. I mean, we can't make them come to God, but there are things that we can do. For one thing, we can start praying like crazy, and that's one of the things I've been asking you to do. God, you know, let there be opportunities for connection, opportunities for conversation. May our friendship go deeper, Lord. May I someday have the opportunity to just share about my faith, my faith in Jesus. I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing that happens in a church, Is part and part of what makes a church great is when people care more about the chair of the future than they care about the chair of of the present some of you have experienced this I know you started coming to church here and you came for a while and you found that it was helpful or whatever helpful enough that you decided to invite a friend one of these people that I've been describing right you invited them to church and they said oh my gosh they would come oh my gosh and all of a sudden you started looking at everything differently because they said they would come and you start praying you say Lord this weekend help this church be friendlier than normal you know (laughs) Uh, Lord, help the music be really even better than than normal. Help the message not stink, Lord. You know, and and you you know you kind of just hoping that because you're you're imagining what they're going to see or what they're going to feel, and all of a sudden you're looking at stuff through their eyes because you care, because you love them, because you would love for them to come to know the Jesus that you know. I've had some of you come up to me and say, Hey, a couple of weeks, uh, I'm just wondering, will you be preaching? I'd say, Yeah, and they would say, Well, you know, I've got somebody coming. Uh, and they mean a lot to me. It's uh, a boss of mine. I've been sharing my faith with him for a long time, and I invited him to church. He said he would come. So, you know, if you're preaching, don't blow it. <laughs> you know, greatly encouraging. But that is how we feel when there's, we're somebody that we care about, and and we've taken that step, and we've invited them. Invited them into our life or into our faith, and maybe in this case even into your church. That's not always the place to start, by the way, but it can't be... A, a, an invitation you extend. But understand, this is why we have ministry partners. In Lebanon, up in Baker neighborhood, third story, in Ukraine, in Guatemala, in Myanmar, wherever, because they invite people to know Jesus in other parts of the world where we would otherwise never be able to make those invitations, but they do. That's why we join hands with these ministry partners. And even right here at home, more and more people, of course, need to be invited into our life. Uh, The Pew Research Center released a study. It was actually summarized. This study was summarized in Business Insider, and this is what the summary says. It says, Christians are leaving the faith in droves. This is in our culture. And the trend isn't slowing down. The biggest faith story in our day is that in the last seven years, the number of people in the United States who call themselves followers of Jesus has dropped by 10%. Not only is the church not growing, but every year 1% of people who once said they follow Jesus are dropping out. In that same time frame, the number of people who identify as atheist or agnostic is double. I'm sure I don't need to say this, but that's not okay. Those numbers represent our families and our friends, our Children and grandchildren, our neighbors, our co workers, our fellow students. Now, I need to also say this. For 2,000 years, you know, the church, depending on where exactly we're talking about the church is, has ebbed and flowed. Sometimes it grows and sometimes it shrinks in in certain areas and what have you. Uh, God is not nervous about this, (laughs) God is in control of advancing his church in the various parts of the world. But I'm just saying, this is our part of the world, and I think we should care. That's what I'm saying. And if you're wondering, does God still draw people to himself in the Denver area? Well, the answer is, heck yes, of course. He's doing it all the time. He does it through people like Hope or people like you. You see, everywhere that people are willing to invite others into their life, that's where God is doing it, right there. And all of this, of course, needs to be done prayerfully because, frankly, we don't manufacture it. In fact, we only mess it up if it's not bathed in prayer and led by God and empowered by God. God is the one who draws people, calls people to himself, works in the hearts of people, and that's why we need to be prayerful people. Are you with me so far? Okay, we got a long, long, long way to go. Okay, here we go. No, I'm kidding. We don't really. Uh, but that's why I'm asking you to pray. Pray for a ministry partner. Get a card. Get, in, uh, get informed. Pray for people around you. The second thing of this whole uh, piece is I'm asking you to give. I'm asking you to be generous as it relates to our ministry partners. You know, if, the, if this is your church and you know Jesus and you want to be a part of what God is doing here, I would ask you to have a plan to financially support the work of this church. You know, I, I had a staff. Share with me recently that uh, somebody asked them why the staff doesn't give at Deer Creek Church, and what they were doing is they're just observing that we have these buckets, and uh, and by the way, the feedback that we've gotten from so many of you about the buckets is so positive. Thank you very much. Um, uh, But anyhow, the uh, they they were observing that as the bucket goes by, they've seen I don't know me maybe other staff you know passing passing the bucket by and never putting anything in it and what have you. Well. Let me just say something. A number of us, you know, give online. Uh, And and more importantly, (laughs) I, I can promise you this. The staff and the leadership of this church would never ask you to do something that we don't fully participate in ourselves. The day we start doing that, you know, we become, I don't know, hypocrites. And so staff, myself, all of us included... Are full in on this um, or we wouldn't be asking you to consider it. That, that's just where we stand. then. And, and many of us on staff give uh, give online. So, you know, if you were wondering, that just, just hopefully clears that up. Because here's the deal. Our giving. Our is the key word here. Our giving is what drives this ministry uh, financially and, and makes it possible financially. Now, more specifically, I would ask you to consider along with us making a gift to help support our partners In ministry. Uh, As you know, we need to raise $107,000. You know that because if you've been here the last five weeks, I've mentioned that several times. (coughs) And this $107,000 is over and above our regular giving. So when staff or leaders here give to this, they give even sacrificially, they're giving over and above their regular giving. And these monies are used to support ministry partners, they're used to help short term mission trips where necessary, they're used to help fund various things that just advance the gospel in the kingdom of Jesus. And I appreciate those of you who have already done that. In fact, I had somebody after the first service come up and say, you know, we give we give monthly, every month to missions. They've never filled out a pledge card. One of these little – here it is, one of these little guys. He said, I just we, – we do it online. And he said, so I don't need to fill one of these out, do you? And I, uh, do I? And I, I said, no, no, no. Here's the deal. We First of all, we appreciate the way you give and what you're doing and how you do it online. Um, But the reason we need everybody who wants to participate to fill one of these out is because this is kind of what we budget off of. You'll notice if you look at this, you have it in your bulletin. There's no place for your name on here, but there's just a place for an amount. Because what we need to know is from March, the month we're in now, till next February, what you would plan to give to missions. Even if you're doing it online, right? You're already doing it. Because that way we can budget, sensibly budget, right? And... um, Regardless how you give. If you give a one-time gift, or you know, it would help us if you would fill out this pledge. That would be so very, uh, very helpful. Now, um, <coughs> you guys are just an awesome church. You want to know how many of you have turned in a pledge card so far? Somebody want to guess? Well, we have a total, a grand total of 18. Yeah, yeah. 18. <laughs> You guys suck at uh, at just you know doing what we ask you to do. You're the, you're very independently minded. I, you know I love that about you, but and also we're not too terribly shocked by this because every time we do a sign up for anything, um, everybody waits to the last minute in this church. But but it is important if you want to participate with us that you would fill out a pledge card and turn it in. And ideally, we'd love to have everybody turn them in this Sunday so we'd know where we are. We ha- we have 18 people have pledged for a. Huge grand total of 22,000. So we're a little short, a little bit short of 107. But we'd ask you to, to consider coming along with us and, and being a part of this. Whatever you think uh, God would enable you to do so that we, so that we could uh, represent the same generosity that God has toward us as we think about extending his mission. Got that? Okay. So the last one. Will you live missionally? Pray, give, and live missionally. In other words, would you live like Jesus? That's really what this is about. Will you care about and connect with people? I mean, the list of living visionally, there's all kinds of things we could say about this, but I'm just going to say two rather quickly. Connecting with people. People might come to church because they get invited, and maybe they like the music, or maybe they heard something in a message that they like, something like that. But I'll tell you a little secret here. People come and stay at a church because of relationships, it's relationships. When people get connected to other people who want to follow Jesus, all kinds of good things can happen. They learn together. They, they grow together. They even change together. They become more like Jesus together. This is a little known fact about Denver. This LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchatted, Facebooked, Twittered town is home to some of the loneliest people on the planet. And there's a, probably a variety of reasons for that, but you know, maybe one of them is very few people come to Denver for relationships. They come to Denver because there's financial potential or possibility here, and they come for what else? The great outdoors. I mean, we live in the best place in the world right here, folks. The great outdoors, and they come to enjoy the great outdoors. And the fact, be, uh, the fact is, Denver is opportunity rich and friendship poor. And the best way that we have to help people get connected here at Deer Creek Church is through life groups. And life groups here you know, come in all different shapes and sizes. There's men's life groups and women's life groups and mixed age life groups, old people life groups, young people life groups. How many want to get in an old people life? No, we don't want to self-identify. There's life groups that meet weekly. Some meet bi-weekly. Uh, large life groups, small life groups. All gatherings of people to learn and to pray for each other. To go deeper in connection and then to engage the world together and serve it. Recently we've added 10 new life groups for which we're very thankful. We need to add more so that people can be connected. Um, and, and again, there's kind of a backdrop reason for this. Do you know that isolation, whether spiritual or physical isolation, do you know it's lethal? Research shows this. I'm not making any of this up. CNN reported in 2014 a study that found that people are 45% more likely to die if they are isolated and lonely or left out, if they're relationally unconnected. So, <coughs> sociologist Robert Putnam, an interesting guy, he's written several very interesting books. Found that if you join a small group, and as he defines small group, doesn't mean like a Bible study group or something. I mean, he's talking about bowling league, uh, knitting society. I mean, any kind of gathering that you do regularly with people. He says that if you join a small group, in the next year, while doing nothing else to increase your healthy habits, like changing your eating habits or something of that nature, you cut your odds of dying statistically in the next year by half, fifty percent. That's the statistic. And again, it makes very sense. This is why we call them life groups. And we have a little motto, a little slogan that goes along with this. It's join a group or die. Okay? Just that simple. Join a life group or die. Praise Jesus. Yeah. But here's the thing. Living missionary, living like Jesus, actually... it. it it assumes we're going to connect. It just does. And if you have not been in a part of a life group uh, before, then join one. Talk to me. Talk to Joseph. We'll, we'll help you join a life group. Or start one. Some of you could start a life group uh, because, uh, you know, uh, you've, you've done that before. You have the skills and the abilities to do that. But here's the thing. Uh, because th- this, this is part, you understand, of being a three-chair church. Living missionally, being connected. Uh, let me just mention this other aspect. I said I'd mention too of, of living missionally. The other one would be living as a servant. Being connected to people, living as a servant. Oh, yeah, and by the way, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, very special Sunday for us, we're going to be studying a passage together where we learn about the love of God for us, but we also learn about the need to be servants of one another, and we're going to be doing foot washing next Sunday. I'm not making this up. Now, you don't have to do this. Uh, but this will be for people who, as the service ends, wants to participate in a foot washing. We're going to have eight or ten stations along the sides out here, and you'll be able to go over there uh, and uh, have your feet washed and wash the feet of someone else. Um, and I'm just telling you that so you clean your feet for next week and get a pedicure and stuff like that and be ready for this because that's how we do it in North America. But... Uh, but um, If you follow Jesus, understand... Jesus calls you into the service of others. Period. Right? He calls you to use all of who you are... All the resources you have to be a servant to other people. And figuring out what that means... Well, that's what you get to wrestle through with Jesus. And I would just challenge you... Get out of the bleachers. Roll up your sleeves and serve. Get on a worship team... Uh, hold babies in the nursery greet guests on Sunday morning lead a life group serve in the children's or the student ministry join a mi- our missions team plan to go on a short term mission trip in the upcoming year volunteer volunteer with Love Inc. or a Third Story there are so many ways to serve I had somebody in our church <coughs> tell me about something he does in his own neighborhood that was just so cool He was actually wondering if it was worth it to keep doing it. And he has, I don't have permission to share this story, I have to admit, so I won't mention his name. But um, what he does is he opens up his condo, his townhouse, and he cooks these outrageously good, you know, meals. And he invites the neighbors from there to just come over for three hours, open house, eat great food, sit down and have great conversation with the neighbors. And he's done this a number of times. He's the only guy doing this, as you can imagine. The only guy doing this, breaking down the barriers, opening up the doors. Neighbors are getting to know neighbors. They hang out for three hours or more talking. They thank him afterwards. Man, this was great. This was awesome. And he's kind of wondering, well, am I really accomplishing anything? And I told him, you absolutely are. Who knows where these conversations are eventually going to lead? You're loving on people. You're letting people connect. Regardless of who they are, where they come from, uh, this and, and, and God is going to take at some point some of the connections that are being created here and uh, who knows how he'll use it but I am absolutely certain that at some point somehow you get to gospel conversations faith conversations, deep conversations but they start with just inviting inviting people in and that's what he's doing I would say that's a way to serve that's a huge way to serve, right? so again I'm asking you, pray Give and live missionally you know when people do that they invite other people into their lives they connect with other people they become generous people they become servants of others and I'll tell you what whenever that happens that, that, that is the clearest sign of God being at work when people live that way because that's the way Jesus lived it just is it's a strange thing. You experience God at work when you pray and give and live missionally in a way that you never, ever, ever, ever will if you just watch. Period. So my challenge is join us. Join us. We all need to grow in this. And join us in our, in our mission. Amen. Let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for all those people who have made sacrifices over the years, who worked and prayed and <clears throat> sweated and gave and labored and dreamed. And I thank you for generation, Lord, upon generation, going all the way back to Jesus, who faced trouble and persecution, prison, suffering and danger, but they, they never lost sight of the mission. And I thank you for people who are fishing for men and for women today in Myanmar and Ukraine and Guatemala and Lebanon and even right here in Denver. I thank you for the gospel, for Jesus and his kingdom. (coughs) And I pray for this church that you will pour out a spirit of devotion to Jesus, of unforced, joyful devotion wholehearted commitment to Jesus and his mission. And I pray, God, that you would unleash a movement of your spirit in us and around Denver like we have never seen before. And I pray this for the sake of and in the name of Jesus our King. Amen.